You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. But we digress. Hello, Will. Hello, David. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to part four of our five-part Jurassic Park franchise mini-series science talking about the science of the, <laughs> of the, the movies in the series. Every Saturday in June. That was our Rick and Morty opening. Yes, it was. It was very Rick and Morty. <laughs> Every Saturday in June, we have been releasing discussions where we're talking about the science of the Jurassic Park films set to culminate with our impressions of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom at the end of the month. We are reviewing the films not as film critics, for we are not film experts, but as science critics and science experts. Not just the nitpicky stuff, but the broad concepts. Where do these films fit in that grand discussion of the intersection of science and pop culture? Today, we are on the fourth movie. There was a big break. There was a big old break. Yeah, a long time in between. After 2001, uh, and then Jurassic Park as a franchise was revived in 2015 with the release of Jurassic World. As always, through Universal Studios, directed by Colin Trevorrow, featuring the acting talents of Star-Lord, Kingpin, and that one kid from Iron Man 3. (laughs) In this movie... The park is finally opened as a fully functioning park and has been for quite some time. And the powers that be decide they need a new attraction. So they just go and cook up a new dinosaur. Probably not a good idea. And as you can imagine, (laughs) things go awry. As always, spoiler warning, we are going to be discussing many of the events that take place in this film. So you have been warned, as always. Jurassic World, I I have a lot of things that I like about Jurassic World. Yeah, I do too. There are a lot of nice things I have to say about Jurassic World. Unfortunately, we're here to talk about the science. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a very true statement. That's how I felt about Jurassic World since it came out. Will, let's start where we always do and, and kick off with the critters of the movie what sorts of critters do we get to see in this film so we actually get to see a lot of the ones from the older movies you know t T t-rex velociraptors uh stegosaurus triceratops uh a bunch of hadrosaurs hadrosaurs sauropods all of those some ankylosaurs again uh the only real new additions like legitimate there's there's a few species of pterosaur that get thrown in but the dimorphodon is the one that really stands out yeah, there's Pteranodon and Dimorphodon. And Pteranodon, I think, is what was uh, in Jurassic Park 3. Exactly. So we've already seen thing. it and at the right before the credits in Lost World. But Dimorphodon's the one. And I had a lot of people coming up to me afterward thinking that they had made up another dinosaur because Dimorphodon has basically the body of a pterosaur, but then like a face of a little theropod. Yes. They, well, their version does. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> but they, they were a very toothy flying reptile with blunt noses instead of big, long beaks. But real, real, not dinosaurs, but real ancient reptiles. Another new addition was also not a dinosaur, but a mosasaur, another ancient reptile. Just a quick... We're probably not going to talk too much about the mosasaur because it's not really featured very much in the film. I was so happy to see a mosasaur in one of these movies. That, yes oh my god yeah it's it's twice the size it should be oh yeah it's huge but it's so cool it even has 
palatal teeth. It does. It has teeth on the roof of its mouth and yeah, everything. It's, it's awesome. Just, it looks so cool. It made my squamate heart sing. It was a very, and I like that they, even though it doesn't show up a bunch, they use it very much as a center focus because it is cool looking. Yes. Otherwise, that those are really the only new things we get except for the new made up dinosaur of Indominus Rex. They make up Indominus Rex because, as the movie states, regular dinosaurs aren't good enough anymore, which kind of sets the tone for this movie. It really does. Uh, One of the the continuing themes that we've talked about throughout this franchise is what we keep calling monsterification TM. This notion of taking an organism, like a creature, right? Sometimes even a person. Yes. And adjusting their behavior to something that makes less sense in the light of normal animal behavior and more sense in the light of being a movie monster spectacle. That is a very dominant theme in this movie. This this is the this is the top offender in that regard so far. It is far. the peak of that trend. So Will, tell us about Indominus. So Indominus is Indominus is interesting. Uh, basically, the whole concept is they they took various dino DNA and other modern organisms and combined their genomes, their aspects of their genetics, to create a new dinosaur that would be a more exciting feature. On one hand, they they put thought into what went into the dinosaur. So, like, they tried to make what it got genetically makes sense as for what the dinosaur was doing and what features it had and what it allowed it to do for the movie. But it also really simplifies down how genetics works. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk a bit about that uh, a little later on. Yeah, absolutely. So it has a little bit of that weirdness to it. Uh, Basically, the whole concept is this is a giant predator, as they say, bigger than T-Rex, that is hyper-intelligent like the Velociraptors and has now longer arms so that it can you know, effectively punch stuff now. <laughs> and it's just this super predator. And the Indominus is, you know, we're going to talk about, it is just a bundle of monster tropes. Yes, it and, is. And we're going to go through those here in a moment. It's worth noting that the, the movie does actually justify that or at least it really does yeah they make an attempt to explain those behaviors you know it's not a regular animal to begin with they explain uh uh, owen star lord explains that they've basically driven it insane it's psychotic and that's why it's the way it is it's been raised completely in isolation by itself with no siblings no outside influences other than the crane that feeds it food so it has no connection with other living organisms. Uh, and I'm sure if we were psychologists, we'd have some things to say about that. Yes. But regardless of their justification, it is a really interesting collection of some of the tropes we've been seeing in the dinosaurs throughout the franchise so far. Yes. Most notably, I think, it is constantly built up as scary. It was made to be scary. Uh, what's his name? The, the the guy in charge says, do you think it'll scare the kids? Yeah, I think it's it will give the parents scary. the nightmares. Yes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, she says, do you think it'll scare yep. the kids? Yeah, and he that's says, right. I think it'll give the parents nightmares. <laughs> and I like that she says, is that a good thing? 
<laughs> yes, yeah. Welcome to the, <laughs> the central theme of the movie. Yep. <laughs> it's also indestructible. It is so tough. And they, like, you could look it up on the website to see what it's made out of. So I know some of you may have been aware, and they talk about the fact that it has body armor, osteoderms from certain dinosaurs. That does not make you indestructible. We still hunt alligators. <laughs> well, we talked in the last movie how the Spinosaurus showed that, you know, super strength. Super strength and uh, super that sort toughness. Of monster thing. Indominus destroys a building. Yep. And sticks its claw through the hamster ball, which Jimmy Fallon very clearly explained can take a 50 caliber bullet. Yep. And it, it gets hit in the face by an ankylosaur tail takes an entire line of military-grade bullet fire and gets blown up. Yes. And it doesn't... It's not even injured by any of this. No, it it's just keeps trucking. Because it's Michael Myers. Yeah, exactly. It's a... This is... We are in pure monster territory now. It is uns... It is completely unstoppable until the correct protagonist takes it down. The other monster. Till exactly. Godzilla shows up. Yes. That's exactly how the ending feels to me. Yes, it is. Godzilla has to show up to take down Mechagodzilla. There's nothing the, the military can do. Only the other equally monstrous creature. Yes. They do some neat things with how they portray the animal's behavior and stuff on trying to explain its mentality and explain why it's... Like, they make efforts to explain the behavior all the way throughout... The fact that it it's never encountered other animals, so it doesn't know where it is on the food chain. So it's testing those things. It's it's like when you have a a small dog that's like barks <laughs> at bigger animals because it doesn't know that it should be afraid of predators. So, you know, so it's like those kind of concepts. And so they they try to put some science into it. They you know, but then they do have moments where they talk about it killing for sport, which is that's a little. Okay, I mean, it's not that no animals do that, but it's just running around killing as much as it can because it's bored. I don't know. It's that's where you're starting to get into that. It's just murderous for the sake of murder. It's a psycho monster creature, and so it's it's odd. They try. This is also one where they they are trying to use it as an example as as for what they did was wrong. That they this is this is now they have truly overstepped the line by making the monster. Right, this is how you play God. But then th there's also these moments where they are defending it as a creature, which is weird. And so it's like, it's there's some mixed signals there as to whether or not the Indominus is the victim of its genetics or the victim of its upbringing. But it's, you know, they even have that line where they say you can't have exaggerated predatory features without the corresponding behavior. Yeah, that's an interesting line. I, I found, I always found that very intriguing because... It's one of those where, yes, that can be true. That doesn't mean it is. <laughs> it's also shown to be, this is another sort of monster feature, sort of monsterification feature, that it's smart, but yes. not smart. We're not at raptor smart, like in the first movie, where they're communicating and stuff like that. It's supposedly, we're told by Owen, that it, scratched up the wall to make them think it escaped as a decoy and then when it's fighting the the first uh, group of guys that go out to stop it it's fighting them I, you last episode you said that they're acting like action movie yep stars 
it's fighting these dudes like Captain America in the elevator. Like, yes, it, it's whipping this guy with its tail and it grabs this one and throws him over his shoulder. Like, it's like UFC fighting yes, this yes. group of guys around. It's like <laughs> Batman taking mm-hmm. out a bunch of guys. It it stops to it stops feeling like a creature on a rampage and starts feeling like a person that is fighting with tactical intent. And I get that they're trying to portray it as smart, and so that's that was one of their their avenues was making it tactical. But to to make a point, if you've ever actually watched a fight happen at a bar or in your middle school or high school, <laughs> it's not what they look like. <laughs> No, it fights like it's been trained. Yes, exactly. Like it's had military. <laughs> like it and Owen both used to be in the in military. The Navy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's also in the. It's got some of Owen's DNA in it. Yes. They do give it a bunch of traits, which is you know they give it some of the alt- alternate genetic traits, the the cuttlefish DNA and the the tree frog. I think they yeah, said. Yeah, tree frog. Let it hide from the thermal cameras. Which is, that's another one of those scenes that when we've talked about how you portray intelligence, it bugs me when we portray a animal, an, an organism intelligence that does not use technology as somehow understanding technology. Like, how, how did, like, I, you could probably argue away, but the fact that it knew to change its body temperature so that it couldn't be seen by thermal cameras. And to, get, and to ditch the tracker. Like, those are things where it's like, but you don't know what technology is. This is th- th- this is a level of insight that is not. It's another one of those monster traits that omniscience. Yes, that the monster knows they know where exactly you are. What they, they know need to how know. to do it. They know what they need to know. Dendominus also is a bit gimmicky. Like it bugs me that it uses the camouflage. The camouflage was straight out of the second book. Yeah, that happened in the book with uh, Carnotaurs instead of uh, a made-up dinosaur, but. It, that it was something we discovered they had when we brought them back. It's such a cool idea, the notion of dinosaurs being camouflage-capable. The idea that the notion of a cuttlefish-style chromatophores showing up in a dinosaur is really, really cool, and it uses it that one time, and then that's it. Yeah, it, and there's... there's Oh, it's, well. It's got that time, and I noticed this time watching it, it does it when it's hiding behind their hamster ball, which is another one of those, like... Oh, that's... Yeah, it does. Yeah, but it's another one of those, like, you used it twice for... And I didn't Not, even notice one of them. Exactly. Which I guess <laughs> is the point of camouflage. Uh, that's, so. a, that's a fair point. <laughs> but on the note of the camouflage, I do have to point out, since we're talking about the science, uh, my a friend at the aquarium, he was always irked by them saying it was cuttlefish DNA that gave it chromatophores, the color-changing cells, because cephalopod chromatophores and vertebrate chromatophores, like on a chameleon and other lizards, are not the same. One no, is cellular-based, one is muscular-based. So it, it's he was basically saying that a cuttlefish's chromatophores would not work in a vertebrate's anatomy because it's they're based off of different bases. Yeah, well, and that that brings up, and this is this is a topic for the science section, but we could, it's a short one, so we can put it in here. It bugs me a lot that they explain it away. The same thing they did with the frogs in the first yes movie. Where they say, "Oh well, we gave it cuttlefish DNA to in- increase its its uh, growth rate, and we gave it tree frog DNA for whatever reason uh, to adapt it to a tropical climate." Yep. Is what they said, and they it surprisingly got camouflage and surprisingly got the infrared stuff, and 
You don't mix DNA by putting it in a blender. Nope. Like, you splice out specific genes that you want and put it, like, did you just mix DNA in with the embryos and then grow, like, weird blobs of flesh until one of them made a dinosaur? And you were like, all right, I guess it's got the right stuff. That's so, that's such a weird simplification of of genetic technology. Well, and it also makes them seem incompetent. Yeah, well, that might also be... (laughs) <laughs> yes. part of the point yes now there are plot points that could be made there because you know of the the whole storyline of the weaponization is that maybe these things were put in there on purpose but it's not the way it's portrayed that is a good point though that is something that i it, thought it, of watching very, it this they, time. they are portraying it as that simplified idea of genetics now speaking of critters and speaking of monsterification if i am ever invited to give a talk <laughs> about my crazy theory of monsterification. The scene that I will show to people to demonstrate this is the pterosaur scene in this movie. Yeah. I hate the pterosaur scene so much. It bothers me so much. Everything in this pterosaur scene annoys the heck out of me, starting with the fact that they call it an aviary in a birdcage. Yep. That yep. annoys me, but that's <laughs> besides the point. So the pterosaurs are in the birdcage. And then Dominus smashes through the glass because it's super strong and it can do that. And the pterosaurs fly out into the freedom. They take off on two legs, which they can't do. And they fly out into the open sky. And directly above them is a giant demon of metal and spinning blades that smells like oil and gasoline. Super noisy. Super noisy. And they fly straight towards it. Somehow resisting the downdraft. Attacking the guys in there. One of the pterosaurs sticks its face through the windshield. (laughs) They take down the helicopter. And then all the pterosaurs fly on their pointy wings with no Europatagium towards (laughs) the giant crowd of people. That apparently the pterosaurs have been starving because they dive into this panicked herd (laughs) to attack these people. They're crashing through glass. Not even, not like stopping crashing, just crashing right through it. Mm-hmm. They're super aggressive. Tiny Dimorphodon, which is the size of a dog, is tackling and trying to, I guess, kill and eat people. Yep. They're super strong. They're breaking the glass. They're picking up people and throwing them around. They're not just picking people up with their teeth, with their with their legs, but also with their faces. Yeah, with just in their mouth, a whole human in their bill. They're making horrible noises the whole time, which is another monsterification thing. You give animals terrifying noises to yeah, they, they growl as they walk around. They screech for no Screeching reason. Screeching for no reason. They're dip, duck, weave, and dodging through the air with this incredible maneuverability so that they can attack people better. I ju- It's like Monster Central in the pterosaur scene. It's so, so ridiculous. And that, on top of all the fact that they're they're 1930s pterosaurs, like all movie pterosaurs have ever been, they're they're like really really old, outdated pterosaurs. They also look like monsters. Like the pteranodon in this movie looks really goofy. Yeah, they 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 made them a very the all the same color, and they're they're aggressive and like rough looking and stuff. Dimorphodon's got teeth sticking out in all directions for no reason. Which is something they reason. also did with Indominus, which the the designers did on purpose to make it look scary. They said that in the features. 
So the pterosaurs are just these demon creatures. And it's like a perfect quintessential demonstration of what it looks like when you take what is started off as an animal, still has the real name of that animal, and has been just monstered all up. To, to really give you a one-to-one comparison, this would be like if pelicans flocked into a beach and attacked tourists. Yes, it would. They, I mean, it, this, and that is literally a one. They are about <laughs> the same size as many of these, the smaller ones like the Dimorphodon. They have long, thin bills like the pterosaurs, and it'd be like if they just randomly flew into a beach and started attacking someone bird style. Is exactly what this scene looks like to us. Yeah, I will say, the moment where they drop that poor, poor, undeserving British lady <laughs> no. into the water. And they drop her in the water, and you're expecting the mosasaur to come up, and then the pterosaurs go down. Yeah, yeah. That is a really cool moment. That's a really cool looking scene. I really like it. Does They can't do that, by the way, scientifically. Uh, <laughs> at last I heard, studies of standard pterosaur faces uh, found that they do not have the resilience that modern that diving birds have. Yeah. To be able to withstand that. We, actually, speaking of that, that's the other thing that happens to the pterosaurs. Not only are they smashing through the glass... But all the dudes come out and they're like, do not shoot to kill. And then they're shooting with them with tranquilizers while they're in midair. And they just <laughs> and fall they're all 50 like feet. Crashing into the ground. Crumple, smash, <laughs> with splat. With their paper thin skulls. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they are, they are the, in my, in my humble opinion. This would have been my mini rant if I didn't have so much to rant about. Yep. This scene. Oh, it's, it's the worst scene. Well, and it, and it. it this is so the biggest scene because like they at least give reasons why Indominus behaves the way it does. In this one, they're just demons. It, the pterosaurs are just just yeah. demonic. She gun she hits one in the head with the butt of the gun at one point. Once again, like you do to an action movie bad guy and just knocks it out and then shoots it three times in the chest with tranquilizer darts. That's dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> Because you got to take them out like movie monsters. Because they're just monsters at this point. They don't have any explanation for why these pterosaurs are so aggressive. And like in the last one in Jurassic Park 3, at least the pteranodons were just were trying to feed them to babies. Like they at least had some reasoning. Yeah, you yeah. are food for their nest of hungry babies. Why they didn't <laughs> kill the kid before giving it to their babies. I don't know the bad parent. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that like in this one, they just immediately attack everything that moves for and it's never explained why they're never like you know oh the pteranodons you know we we found that they they hunt as a pack and they're much more aggressive no they just you know glass breaks everyone dies yep they just go out it's time it's killing time let's talk speaking of this animal monster comparison let's talk briefly about the raptors the raptors are interesting in this one what strikes me interesting about them is that we are continuously told that they are animals yes but they don't act much like it no first off we've lost a lot of the intelligence that we've established in the other three movies yeah also the colorfulness i really liked the jurassic park 3 look yeah uh, it's I a shame was... to me that they're kind of duller in this one yeah i thought that was a much better look they we don't get to see them do that much that's smart other than the way they interact with other people and the basically their whole push for the fact that the raptors are smart in this one is that they're trainable yes which 
as I mentioned when I talked about the first one being a bad zoo, turtles are trainable. <laughs> yes. So it's not, once again, this is not the step after the wheel. No, the impressive part here is that it took you guys so long to figure that out. Not the fact that the raptors were capable of it. <laughs> like, Well, it's because they're bad at training animals. Because it's a bad zoo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's so also, bad. Also, what really was interesting to me is they have the moment uh, later on in the movie where the raptors have a conversation with Indominus. Yep. And Indominus, it is suggested that Indominus somehow convinces them yep. to turn on the other. Which, once again, by the way, that moment where the raptors turn around and look at the humans is is a really cool moment. That's a cool moment. I, and it's, I like that a lot. As we said, if we were able to discuss the movie, it'd be a very different discussion than just yes. discussing the science. Jo join us on Patreon. Yes. <laughs> but they go from being like bulldogs. So they've kind of been like bulldogs or Rottweiler, yeah, like yeah, some yeah. kind of big scary dog. They're suddenly murder creatures. Yes, just like, destroying killing everyone. everybody. Like, no, wanted, the only time we see one of them apparently eating someone is to get it to stand still long enough to get blown up by a rocket. By a rocket launcher. It reminded me of We're Back. Yes. You remember in We're Back where they have, like, the little chips that turn them into It's the, the pills they take. They have the, the, the brain gain and the brain drain. Pills that they take. This is one of my favorite movies as a kid. <laughs> and when they take the the brain drain and turn them back into just normal basically it regresses them back into their primeval states they're all just constantly angry and thrashing against chains and roaring and just 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 super super upset <laughs> that's what the the raptors snap into monster mode and monster mode comes along with them being super durable right one of them gets slapped across the the the, the place by indominus one of them gets hit by a tree that uh, after a truck runs it into it. Like, yeah, going it's running <laughs> presumably 40 to 50 miles an hour. And just into a tree, shows up later. Yep. Or they tumble. Also, they're jumping through glass. Again. <laughs> Again. Raptors. I don't know what I don't know what it is with this franchise. It was, it was one of the most bizarre findings we found while <laughs> de-extincting raptors is that they just hate glass. They hate glass panes. <laughs> they can't take it. And they jump through the glass in the the most ridiculous way in this movie is when one of them intercepts the van moving at high at full speed just down through the, the window, pushes his face through the window. Yes, just like catches it mid driving into the driver's seat, which first off means it was targeting a jeep or van driving at forty some odd miles per hour. To hit it from the side, and then also that it leapt directly at the window. Like, and it pushes its face, once again, through the window with no... Have you ever seen a bird hit a window? <laughs> like, Have you ever hit a window? Have you ever hit a window? There's a lovely vi YouTube video I can show you <laughs> of a man trying to break a car side window with his head, and it ends with him passing out <laughs> from the concussion he is giving himself. And it's that super strength. I mean, the, the the ending of the movie is is the most unabashed. We are now a kaiju film. It is an Avengers Godzilla fight. It is just and it, not to say it's not a fun fight, but these are not animals at this point. These are superheroes. Yes, blue the raptor 
climbs up on the T-Rex's back and vaults off of it. Yeah. And T-Rex, blue, like, the, it's the same issue that at the very end of the first movie. It was like, why would a Velociraptor jump on the the back of an animal 20 times That's its what I'd size? Say. Yep. And again, it's the movie thing, because they're not, they're just movie spectacle creatures at this point. And, and, and it's goofy and hilarious, and it's, it's wonderful to watch. Mm-hmm. But scientifically, you've abandoned all pretense of of realistic animals. It just, it's very... The other thing that was weird for me with these raptors is even when they are being trained and are being, quote-unquote, the good guys before they get evilly converted by the Indominus, uh, they're, like, on speed. These raptors cannot stand still. They are just, like... <laughs> they're, like, eyes are darting around. They're, they're twitching. Like, they're twitching. And, like, in the other movies, we see tons of moments where the raptors just calmly observe stuff and are, like, calculatingly trying to figure things out and, like, showing that. Like, the whole kitchen scene, they're looking through stuff and very, not methodical, not, but, I mean, they're, they're very calculated and calm. Like, you, like when you watch a crow look at something where they're going to look at it and examine it and bump it and then look at it. These raptors are, like... Are, are super ran- snarling and shaking. <laughs> it's like yeah. that cliche form of ADD, and then with all the sugar and Red Bulls, <laughs> they're like the the hyenas in Lion King. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I think honestly, because they're minions in this movie, they are underlings. They are they they follow the alpha, and that's super bizarre to me. Just because it, like I said, we don't get to see them be smart in this one. Not so much. Yeah, they've they've really dropped the intelligence down. Very much like we said for Lost World, we don't get to see them be smart in that one. They're just aggressors. It's very much the same in this one, but even more so to where they're like amped up, constantly ready to go. It just stands out from what they have been. So let's talk a bit about the science. Every episode we like to talk about the paleontology that that we see in the film. I would like to cite a very specific part of the movie. And normally we don't do this, right? Normally we're not zeroing in on very very specific moments for, yes. for too long but in this case i would like to do it gray and zach the two children are waiting online to get into the hamster balls and zach is staring at the attractive ladies of his own age because he's at that age and you think that that's something that is appropriate to do <laughs> and gray is trying to talk to him and zach is ignoring him and ultimately at the end of this moment tells him to shut up the words that Gray is saying in this scene are, quote, soft tissue is preserved because the iron in the dinosaur's blood generates free radicals, and those are highly reactive, so the proteins and the cell membranes get all mixed up and act as a natural preservative. DNA can survive for millennia that way. So now, even if the amber mines dry up, they'll still have bones, and that's when Zach cuts him off. Yep. There are three very interesting things that I like to point out about this moment. The first is that this is some real paleo science from the real world. Work by Mary Schweitzer and colleagues has suggested that soft tissue and dinosaur bones, which we have found, remains of blood vessels and proteins and things, might be preserved because of iron, preserved within the, 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 the bones. Less scientific is that, you know, we don't get DNA from it. Uh, I like that he says DNA can survive for millennia. It's like, well, yeah, but you don't need millennia. Yeah. <laughs> you, need, you need a lot more than that. You need millennia of millennia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it also explains how they got 
the the DNA from Mosasaurs. Yes. The second thing that's interesting is that the scene does not care that Gray is saying this. The camera is focused on Zack and the pretty girls, and Gray is not on screen for much of the time he's saying this, and then Zack tells him to shut up. This is an annoying background noise. He's prattling on in the background. And the third thing, and the reason that I bring up this very specific moment, uh, the, the, the important reason why I chose to zero in on this, this is the only moment in the entire movie, as far as I can tell, that makes a direct reference to anything in the field of paleontology from the last 30 years. Yep. That's about it. The only other thing in the film that, that might fit that category is when you see the baby Triceratops in like the little petting zoo thing, their horns above their eyes curve upwards. Yeah, that's true. Which is real. That's what baby Triceratops horns look like. They, they curved upwards. I don't know how recently we discovered that. I know it's yeah. been published on in the last several years, so that might count too. But aside from those things, Jurassic World is... Not, nothing in Jurassic World harkens to any paleontology from the last... Uh, since the original Jurassic Park, and honestly for quite some time before that, which makes it unique so far in this franchise. Even Jurassic Park 3 yes. brought in spinosaurus which was having a little bit of a heyday that those days it's they they are not focusing on updating the public to scientific findings in fact very famously among paleontologists and fans of fossils they actively chose not to update any of their dinosaurs with feathers hashtag no feathers this is something that you know because it was a revival because it was oh you know it's been almost 15 years we're coming back to jurassic park a lot of us dino enthusiasts were excited about the, th oh, well, are you going to do what Jurassic Park did? Are you going to, you know, update? There's so much more we've learned in the last 20 years. Uh, stuff that even the, the, the last movie wouldn't have been able to include. Like, we've learned tons of stuff since then. And the movie directors, as the director and the, and the filmmakers, as is their right to do, this yep. is their movie, do it's whatever their you product. want, uh, chose not to do any of that. And made a statement saying so. And that's a bit of a shame. It's not even so much a shame that they don't have the science-y stuff in there. It's a shame that they could have and they didn't. And that's really, is that this one stands... Because in the other movies, there's, they mention a lot of side science that's just to be neat. The fact that they're homeothermic. The fact that the, the behavior of certain animals that aren't the focused animals. You know, parental care in the stegosaurs is just kind of there in the second movie. The group nesting in the Velociraptors in the third movie is just there. And those are all cool things that are based off of things we have found in dinosaurs beforehand. This movie doesn't even do any of that. You know, the closest it comes is it has one moment where it mentions that the Pachycephalosaurs short out their trackers by butting heads, which isn't even <laughs> something that all paleontologists agree they did. Yeah, it's this movie is very much... The, what, what I've been saying ever since it came out is that Jurassic World... Jurassic Park was a movie made by people who love dinosaurs, and Jurassic World is a movie made by people who love Jurassic Park. Yes. Which is fine. It is okay to be that person. It's just, I wish that there was more of that paleo appreciation in this movie. It's a little, just a little bit, uh, it's a little bit of a shame, I think. It's a bummer. And, and we've mentioned it before that none of these scientific inaccuracies are like a crime, all movies get oh, yeah. science wrong somewhere. I mean, even 
famous ones like Gravity that were hailed for being very accurate still had moments in there where it's like, well, that didn't make any sense. But okay. And as we've expressed, we do not think bad science makes a bad movie. No. We actually both like this movie. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah, know it did. from this conversation, but we do actually like this movie. We do. It's a fun movie. But it has it has less of a excitement around the science as its predecessors, which is makes it stand out. I will point out the two tiny bits, and I might be missing something. If somebody wants to point out if there's any little things I'm missing. Oh, yeah, please do. But these two moments are completely inconsequential to the movie. You oh, could cut them out think. and you wouldn't lose anything. One thing that I noted was, was interesting because you mentioned this sort of thing in the last episode. These two things that snuck through the two recent science things, the one, maybe two are both directly related to Jack Horner's research. That is very true. Uh, which is notable uh, since he's the scientific advisor uh, on the film. So that's just a fun little thing to note that if someone else were the scientific advisor, I wonder what, <laughs> what they would have snuck in. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> that's a good point. If it were me, he'd be talking about snakes. Yep. It's interesting. And this also extends uh, as is our usual next topic is the scientists in the fact that we don't have any paleontologists in this movie this is the first movie that we don't have any at least not any paleontologist characters jack horner himself makes a cameo in the film but there's no characters who are paleontologists in yeah this movie. Ne never is that never is that title said because there's no paleontologist that we talk to the only scientist we have is Wu, who's the the main scientist from the first one who explains how they made the dinosaurs girls. Yep. He comes back, but he's not a paleontologist. He's the only scientist we talk to in the movie. We see a bunch in the background, but he's the only one we talk to. And he's dismissive of the genetic editing and a bad guy. So, yeah, our scientist is a bad guy. We have no hero scientist in this one. And once again, it's a little bit of a shame. It's it's a disembarkment. The, the hero we have is... Just a vague hero character. He's an ex-military, <laughs> dino lover, trainer. He doesn't have any scientific background. He just talks about the animals in an emotional capacity and every now and then has comments that are somewhat insightful, but just because he's meant to say them. He's a capable guy, but he's not a scientist character. Uh, so our section on scientist characters, well, we don't really have any. We don't, we don't really does. know any. He also does do the thing that we say most other movies have scientists do, though, where he is super insightful about the animals all the time. He can always tell what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they want to do. He is. He's explaining their behavior all the Constantly, time. Constantly. To where he just knows exactly what's going on in the head of the dinosaurs. As, as soon as he sees something, he's like, this is what Indominus is doing, and you know, this is why you guys are all dumb. And that's, <laughs> that's it. That's as much scientific we discussion we get of the animals, which is... Considering that all three movies, even even the ones that we aren't as big a fans of, have that. They all have that except for this one. Which yep, they're missing paleontologists. They really and a are. lot of paleontology. That, that it's a bit it's a departure. They've left it behind is. some of the paleontology. That being said, I did notice this time rewatching it, the brief moments where they're in the museum and the moment where they're in the Mosasaur show the educational moments there are actually like the park is doing educational stuff they're they're like 
videos going on in the museum and the kids are digging for fossils. Like the educational stuff's actually pretty good. Yeah, the the a lot of cool a lot of things about the park itself is really cool in the way it's handling the subject. There's a part where you hear it and they're like you know, Triceratops name means three horned face. And Mm -hmm. the lady feeding the Mosasaur is like, she's explaining what it would have eaten back in the day, you know, turtles and sharks and smaller Mosasaurs. Like that's these, this is real. Like that, this is good information. You're actually doing a good job explaining. It's all in the background. Yeah. Jurassic world has great educators. Like their education staff is on point. (laughs) The educators at Jurassic world are better than the educators in the studio. Yeah. Making yeah. Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I did want to mention, we talked about this in the very first movie and we didn't, we haven't returned to this, this concept since. And that is the idea of impact. Yeah. The lasting impact of a movie. And we talked about how Jurassic Park has this major impact and one of the reasons people are disappointed that the, the Jurassic World didn't update the dinosaurs is because of that impact, is because we were hoping it would have a similar impact. But one thing that I do want to mention, for all the griping and the, and the, the, the poking at the science that we do, which is sort of the point of this, every Jurassic Park film shares the result of getting people to think about dinosaurs and getting people to go to museums. Museums plan for this. When a new Jurassic Park movie comes out, museums are like, well, get ready. We're going to have crew. Make sure the people on the floor know how to answer questions about dinosaurs. In a lot of places, you will get printouts when a movie has come out recently to say, so, you know, here's the subjects that came up that the movie either got wrong or that we need to be prepared to talk about because it was a focus in the film. So it's filling the people's heads with lots of misconceptions and those misunderstandings are barriers that need to be broken down before you can learn real things about these dinosaurs and such but on the bright side they do send people to the museums so it's got that kind of it's a a little bit of a double edge there where it increases interest and interest means you might go learn good information but it also gave you bad information that has to be worked through to get to the good information so that's why had they updated with the science it would have been a double whammy of benefits because it would have already given some good information and increased interest. Now we just have to deal with the misinformation. Hey, we like to end these episodes by giving ourselves moments to nitpick. To vent. To vent, to to go on little (laughs) miniature rants about very specific things, because we're mostly not doing that in the main discussion. Will, what is your Jurassic World mini rant? In the first movie, my mini rant had to do with the fact that it was a bad zoo, and I could so go through that same thing here because we can see <laughs> even more of the zoo aspect, and it's even worse in a lot of the ways. But my mini rant is going to be one of how the facility functions. This isn't necessarily science, but it's a weird aspect, and it's the fact that the lab's data is off limits to the rest of the park. That's and I get that. Yes, there was nefarious stuff happening in the lab. So story wise, engine probably had that blocked off so that people couldn't see what they were doing. But no one's questioning that. Like that's not a something that happens in any other facility. If you go to a, a university and you go into the labs and you go, oh hey, could I look at your data? No one's like, no, no, no I'm sorry, that's confiscated. No, no that's classified. Cl- classified. She that's, says classified. Yep. They say that's classified. And when the guy who owns the park goes to talk to Wu, he says, come on, you know I can't give you access to that it's like 
why? Why is no one, why is everyone just like, oh, you're right, I forgot. Like, that's, that's not how labs work. And that's super bizarre that within the own company, their own company, the dinosaurs they're making are not allowed to be explained to the people who are taking care of the dinosaurs. That is very strange. It's a weird thing that is feels like is just put in there so that they can have the line where he realizes the Indominus is part raptor. <laughs> like, and so it just it it's a weird. It's once again making that science raptor kind of nefarious and supporting the fact that they're the bad guys. Like the lab is not the source of the good guys in this one, which is it's annoying. I found that I found that <laughs> aspect so distracting. My mini rant is actually related to it being a bad zoo. Aha. Uh, there is a scene. There are a couple of these scenes, but the one that st- stands out to me is the the people are like kayaking down the river. Or I don't know if they're kayaking, but they're in the boats. They're yeah, rowing themselves sure they're down the river. And on right on the bank of the water is Stegosaurus. And in the water with them is, an, is a, a sauropod, a patasaurus, I think. These exhibits have people getting right up next to the dinosaurs. The <laughs> hamster ball, they're out there in the middle, like they're running right yeah. past them. The, the ankylosaur was smashing it, like, and this is a bad zoo, clearly. I, I've been, I've worked at enough places that have to worry about liability. Yes. To, when I see those scenes, I shudder. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Why would you do that? <laughs> But this leans into another trope that we haven't actually discussed in this franchise so far, the the trope of the benign herbivore. This is a constantly repeated theme that you'll see come up in movies a lot, that carnivores are mean and herbivores are nice. It's why they're the protagonists in most animated movies. Yes, it's okay. You can be in the river next to the, uh, the patasaurus and the stegosaurus. They're herbivores. Veggiesauruses, Lex. They're not going to hurt you. Even though two movies ago, we saw a Stegosaurus almost kill somebody. It's that mentality. It's the same mentality that gets people gored by bison. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, it's based on science. No one's ever been hurt by an elephant. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or a rhino or a hippo <laughs> or a horse. It's that. It's this strange, repeated trope of the nice, gentle herbivore. No. those. Ce- I felt the same way when I saw those scenes. Is it's just, it's terrifying for two reasons. One, those people could be trampled easily. Also, the reason there's a fence between the people and the animals halftime is to protect the animal. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's the other thing. Like, is that's you, just, oh you don't, goodness. these animals aren't safe from people just because they're big. Like, it's bad. <laughs> Listeners, thank you again for joining us on this little scientific excursion through uh, the Jurassic Park franchise. As always, we will do a little conversation about our personal, non-particularly sciencey thoughts and put it up where we put a lot of our not-particularly sciencey stuff on Patreon. So if you'd like to hear us say good things about this movie, you can go over to Patreon. <laughs> yes, it's going to be a very different discussion. <laughs> Listen to that. This is part four of five. There is only one left, and we have not seen it yet. We will be watching Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom over the weekend when it comes out and then recording our thoughts. So stay tuned to see what we thought about the newest installment in the Jurassic Park franchise. Will it continue this trend of becoming less scientific and more goofy? Fewer animals and more monsters? Will we be surprised if it does? Join us find to find out. Find out then. Find out next time. 
Ha, 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 ha.